Blessings, everyone. Welcome to the new Just Us Speaks podcast from Just Leadership USA. I'm your co-host, Lester Young. And I'm your co-host, Hakeem Crampton. Just Us Speaks is being produced to amplify the voices of directly impacted people, particularly the voices of formerly incarcerated people. Just Leadership was founded on the principle that those who are closest to the problem are also closest to the solution, but too often further from the resources and power to affect positive change. So on this first season of Just Us Speaks podcast, we're interviewing leaders from the most recent 2022 cohort of Just Leadership USA's Meeting with Conviction Leadership Training Program. Today we have our sister, the true advocate, the warrior, Avalon Betts Gatson. Avalon is a Chicago native, non-licensed attorney, ordained minister, and a passionate advocate for dismantling change and building a legal system focused on human justice and harm reduction, not just punishment. Indeed. Avalon made her public debut as an advocate at a very young age when she convinced her fellow congressional pages to protest apartheid outside of the South African embassy in Washington, D.C. This passion against various societal injustices continued throughout her life and was extra charged and focused on the criminal legal system after she was wrongly convicted in 2015. As a minister of Christ, Avalon is also committed to using this experience to educate the church and the public writ large about the carceral system. Those efforts have the twofold goals of dispelling the myth perpetuated by the carceral system and empowering the public and the, especially the church to be on the front line of ushering in the much needed changes to create an anti-racist, anti-classes, anti-incarceral, anti-ableist system. Indeed, indeed. So Avalon received her bachelor's degree from DePaul University and her Juris Doctorate from John Marshall Law School in Chicago. She currently serves as a board member for the Community Renewal Society, chairperson for the Restoring Rights Committee for the Board of the Community Renewal Society. He also supports the McCormick Theological Seminary Solidarity Build Initiative as a community advisor, is on the advisory board for the National Council of Incarcerated Formerly Incarcerated Women and Girls, and volunteers with anti-carceral system advocacy groups locally, statewide, and nationally. Wow, busy sis. <laughs> Avalon is currently the project manager for Illinois Alliance for Reentry Justice of the Safer Foundation. Avalon, my sister, welcome to the Just Us Speaks podcast. Thank you, brothers Hakeem and Lester, for inviting me to be a part of this new venture with Just Leadership. I'm extremely honored and privileged to be with you all today. Two of my my favorite people on the planet. Ah, appreciate you. Appreciate you. You know, give us our flowers now, right? Absolutely. <laughs> Just before we jump into a couple of questions that we have, tell us who is Avalon? We've read all of this stuff, all of these things of your accolades, the things that you've accomplished, the wrongful conviction and different things. Like that. But tell us who you are that we have not had opportunity to share or read, read with our audience today. I am a daughter. Yeah. I am a mother. I am a, a sister and aunt, and I just had my first grand niece uh, last weekend. So now I am a great aunt. I am a proud member of Delta Sigma Theta Sorority Incorporated, and mm-hmm. I am formerly incarcerated. I am a person that dreams about and fights for the beloved community that Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King talked about. That's the thing that really informs all of the work that I do whether it's related to my family or to my fa- my biological family or my chosen family. So we can imagine that your experience kind of brought you into this work 
but kind of share with us, you know, what that was like for you, how you got involved in the actual work, this phenomenal work and resume that you're undertaking. So, yeah, I, you know, I've always been an advocate since a very young age. I come from a family that was really community driven. Like my grandparents' house was the house on the block that everybody hung out in. When you wanted to come get something to eat, you went to my grandparents' house. They fed all the kids. And that's just kind of how I grew up, like in that. And so community was extremely important to me. And then going through my experience, I realized I, I adopted a new community because I went into serving my time with the perceptions that society had indoctrinated me with. I was believing that the women that I was going to be incarcerated with, that I needed to be afraid of them, that I should fear them, and that they were bad people. And then I got there and I was not in a good place emotionally or mentally. I'm just going to own that. I was really in the depths of despair trying to reconcile like how this could happen. I played by all of the rules that society had told me to play by, but yet here I was thousands of miles away from my children, my husband and my family for something that I didn't do. And I didn't understand the why. And so that put me into a, a horrible downward spiral of depression and despair. And the women around me who didn't even know my name made sure that I was taken care of. They made sure I ate. They made, they just took care of me. They loved on me, complete, total strangers. And then I became embarrassed by the fact that I had believed all of the lies that I had been told about people that are in prisons. And I vowed at that moment, once I got myself together, once they loved me back to a better emotional state, I said, I will never, ever allow society to continue to perpetuate these myths about the people who serve time. And mm -hmm. then I vowed at that moment to not only try to make our current circumstances better, but also to make circumstances better for people in the future. And even more so try to keep other people, especially women, from having to experience incarceration altogether. Yeah, that's that's a powerful thing. And we all, all of them, three of us on this call at this present time, this podcast, we all can identify what it feels like to be uh, placed in prison. But then being at that low point of feeling dejected and hopelessness and then to have men and, and women who are you, that you're incarcerated with to to lift you up like perfect strangers that they they love on you and support you and encourage you that allow you to heal and define your sense of purpose inside of those prisons. I think that sometimes we undervalue that relationship, but don't even understand the power of people who are at the, at the lowest point of their lives, finding the strength to tell you, Avalon, you're going to be okay in supporting you. Hakeem, you're going to be okay. Lester, you're going to be okay. That's a very powerful thing, you know, and I think that we don't really acknowledge that enough about those that are currently in prison. That's why when we walk out of prison, we walk out of prison with so much passion to fight for them because we really genuinely leave family back there, you know? So I just wanted to, you know, uh, just ask you, like, just really, it's so many things I have in my head that I want to ask you, but like, what, what has been your favorite part of leading with conviction? You just recently graduated what was your favorite part about leading with conviction? So 
no shade, Brother Lester. No uh, shade. Ah, here we go. Here we go. <laughs> <laughs> no, no shade. Rocky uh, was my best coach. What you gonna tell Haki, me? I listen, listen. I'm just trying to say, Brother Hakeem, just I appreciated how he just kept it above and with us, right? Like he didn't, you know, coming through the system, and you know this better, better than I do. Everything is so cookie cutter, right? Like they treat us all the same. Your reentry looks the same. If you get any reentry at all, I didn't get any reentry services. But you know what I'm saying? Like the the system treats us all the same, but we're individuals. And I think that the thing that I, I appreciated the most about my experience was taking the information that came out of our LPIs and, and Brother Hakeem, he he made it apply to me more above and beyond what the LPI did, right? Like he individualized my coaching. And I know that that's what coaching is supposed to be, but we're so used to getting treated like the same, like, you know, that you just, that you kind of grow to expect that. And that didn't happen in the cases. So he just, he just made it personal. And that to me was very important and encouraging and I got a lot of value out of that. And I'm sure you did the same with your people. I can't, I just can't talk about it because I didn't experience with you. But um, but yeah, that was one of the things. And then the other thing was just the camaraderie amongst my fellow cohorts. Like it was, it was just nice to be able to kind of be in community with them um, from all across the United States where we could text each other and talk to each other and lift each other up and, and just do a lot of different things. So like I, I have a new chosen family through just leadership. I'm gonna let you slide on that one. I'm gonna let you slide on that one. <laughs> <laughs> yes, we definitely appreciate your work uh in just leadership and I'm glad to be able to 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 work with with leaders and, and coach, you know, and apply the skill sets that I learned. Uh, having gone through the leadership uh, program myself. And so we're excited and thrilled to be interviewing you. And so I, ha I have two important questions to ask you. They're, they're directly related. Um, and one is, you know, what is your hope going into 2023? And connect that to also your vision for the future. What is your vision for the future? So I'm going to answer that two ways. I have some short-term goals and then I have a long-term goal. So for 2023, my short-term goal is Illinois is on the precipice of becoming the first state in the nation to restore voting rights for people serving their sentence. And we are coming back to our capital to get it done. And so starting after July of next year, our brothers and sisters in, that are incarcerated, our Illinoisans that are incarcerated in not only in our state, facilities, but also in federal facilities, will be able to vote. And I'm, I know that it's going to happen. I'm speaking that thing to existence. We have a, a strong roll call. We're excited about that work and eager to have it official. It's unofficial for us, but it'll be official soon. So to me, that's exciting. Our Cook County Jail had the largest turnout rate for voting during our primary. So our brothers and sisters on the, in the inside that was detained, detained pre-trial, who everybody who's in Illinois who's detained pre-trial has the right to vote, they turned up and turned out. And so I'm like, I'm encouraged by that because it dispels these myths that people who are incarcerated don't want to vote. 
they don't want to be involved in democracy. And that couldn't be further from the truth. So that's one of my, my short-term goals that I'm excited about. And then going in and do the work, right? To let our brothers and sisters know about who's running back at home because they get to vote at their last known address by mail. So like, who's running? Like, what are they, what's their platforms? Like really going in and to help, help educate them on the candidates, right? Like, so, and, and for us, because we vote for judges and, and that's one of the biggest things that I focus on and that the coalition that I lead focuses on. So just educating them about judges and things like that. So to empower them, right? Like participatory democracy is power. And we see that power all the time. And I am determined to make sure that our brothers and sisters on the inside reclaim their power. So that's that's my one of my short-term goals. And then the long-term goal is to see that to everybody. So I have begun the work and it'll be it'll start in January to actually create a national working group focused on the restoration of voting rights for everybody. And because what's happening is all the different states are doing it differently. We have different messages and sometimes those messages undermine the message a full restoration for everybody, regardless of where you lay your head. And so my goal is to, I have been asked to, and I have accepted the request to begin to uh, form a national working group focused on us having, moving in the same direction and trying to restore the rights of every person, every citizen in the United States, again, regardless of conviction status. Wow. Man, I'm really inspired by when I read your bio, I was inspired, but I'm like amped up, inspired even more now just to know that especially this work of restoring the voting rights for those who are currently inside of the prison system. That is huge. That is like so powerful. And, and you know, just for us as formerly incarcerated people to just be able to like really retake back these things that we have been stripped from. And one of them was we know the power of voting and to now say that you're going to be etched in history as one of the co-founders or one of the ones who facilitated this movement in doing stuff together with a body of people is very powerful. And that almost brings me back to what you said earlier about you being raised in your grandmother's house and being able to experience and being a part of that community. It's almost like you living on, on the spirits and, and, the, and the teachings of your of your elders and ancestors who have shaped, shaped that with you, you know? So continue to do the work. Just Leadership USA amplifies the power of directly impacted people by investing, educating, empowering, and elevating their voices so they have the tools and resources to self-organize and advocate for themselves, their families, and their communities. Together, we build an equitable, fair, and just U.S. To date, over 1,400 leaders in 45 states and in Washington, D.C. are hard at work transforming people and communities who are harmed by mass incarceration. Please partner with us to bend the arc of criminal legal reform by donating to our leadership programs today. Our network of leaders is strong and growing. Together, we're building local power for national impact. Every donation supporting JLUSA and our leaders has a ripple effect across families, communities, and generations. With your support, we can continue working together towards our singular vision of a just, equitable future for all. To learn more, go to jlusa.org backslash give 2023. 
That's JLUSA.org backslash GIVE2023. I got another like two part question, just as well as Hakeem. Is one, what is your motto? What is that motto that you live by in all of this work that you're doing? What are you doing about self care? Like as a leader, what are you doing about what's that model that you live by? And then what are you doing in, in, in the midst of all of this? Do you hit that pause button for self-care? So the thing that informs all of the work that I do and people around me hear me say this all the time is that we do this work in community. I am not going to allow systems to divide advocates based on money based on anything. I work very hard to, to make sure that as we do this work, we do it in a way that we are doing it together as family, right? Like I, I call my coalition family. Like when I send my emails out, I'm like, hey, fam, because that's, that's the thing that really drives me. And I want us to operate in that, in that fashion. Now, when it comes to self-care, I will say one of the lessons that I learned through my experience is boundaries. You know, coming up in the legal profession as a Black woman, I was not afforded the the luxury of being able to establish boundaries. And so one of the lessons that I learned going through this experience, through my wrongful conviction, was to establish boundaries and that I I had the right to do that. Like, I, I never felt like I had the right to establish boundaries and say, this is how I'm going to allow you to treat me and this is how far I'm going to let you go and to to say no when I need to say no and say yes when I need to say yes and so that's one of the things that I do and that's a way that I practice self-care but you know to sometimes just take a break I'm taking some time off next week this is a busy season for us it's a big time for conferences I mean I see that it's a really busy season and this was my first time going through that so I'm taking taking some time off next week just so that I can just kind of regroup rest, restore myself. I can't take a vacation because I just moved, but, you know, just to take some time off. And I, and I, I do believe in that. And I, and I, I try to make people around me take their time off. Like I'm always telling people like, you know, some coworkers, they're like, oh, well, the work doesn't stop until I'm in the grave. And I'm like, that's crazy. Like, that's crazy talk. I, I, I can't, I don't, don't expect that from me. Like, you know, so, that goes back to my boundaries as well as part of self-care because I'm like, well, I'm not going to live like that. <laughs> I mean, yes, the work does not stop. And I am passionate about the liberation of my people. But at the same time, I can't do the work if I'm not breathing mm-hmm. or if I'm not good in the head. Right. Like I can't do good work if my emotional state is off. So it's important. And I haven't gone through what I went through and being in the pits of despair and depression. Like, I'm, I'm not trying to go back there. Like, those, I'm not going to waste the love that those women poured onto me and poured out to me by allowing myself to go back to that space, right? You know, so I owe it to them to fight for my, my emotional and mental well-being. That's powerful, especially when we know our value and you understand and clearly stated your value that, you know, you can't get this work done unless you value yourself. And I think we oftentimes miss that. For a lot of people like myself, um, when I found myself in prison, I was in a state of darkness. And for the first time, I found some light. 
that may not have been your case. You may have been already inspired as a youth. You know, you were already involved in advocacy. And so my question for you is this, though. Was there either an inspirational book or an inspirational leader while you were incarcerated who kind of really gave you a sense of inspirational direction for perhaps the work you're doing now or just in, in, infused and gave you more, you know, more power to do the work that you're doing? Was there an inspirational book or even a leader? Yes, I will say that. And, and it was inspiring to me because it opened my eyes to the reality of the system. Right. So I, I didn't I had not read Michelle Alexander's The New Jim Crow until I became incarcerated. And I read that book while I was incarcerated. And I just, my whole world, especially as an attorney, was rocked. Like, my identity was rooted in who I was and what I thought the system was as a lawyer, right, as a member of the bar. And so when I read The New Jim Crow, it was like the veil had been lifted. And I said, oh, my goodness, my fight for justice all the way up to that point was was limited because I didn't know what I didn't know, right? So I couldn't work on the areas that I was unaware of. Like I, I really was drinking the Kool-Aid with regards to the legitimacy of the system and and that it was out for justice and that it was going to bring justice at some point in time, right? I genuinely believe that. And when I read the new Jim Crow, I, Crow, I realized like, oh, Avalon, that is so far from the truth. And you have to understand and acknowledge the system. So I needed to get that understanding so that I know how to do the work. Because even up until that point, while I was doing justice work, I was doing it from a place of ignorance. Mm -hmm. And that really helped me to change my focus to be like, oh, wait a minute. I can't keep legitimizing a system that's illegitimate. I have to really start to work on what the real real is, right? Like for real, for real, as they say. And I learned that through reading that book. And then I read Susan Burton's book, Becoming Miss Burton. And that was an inspiration for me, even though we did not struggle with the same trauma and, and how we dealt with trauma. But just to, to have someone come out of that situation, and I'm like, if she can do it losing a child, I can do it losing a title. Mm. Wow. You mentioned Susan, and, and could you tell the audience a little a little bit about what Susan's doing now um, oh, and, and, and what she's doing for the women uh, uh, coming home from prison? Could you just share just a little bit about who she is? Yeah, so Susan Burton started Transitional Centers for women coming home from incarceration in California. She saw that women, um, and especially women with children, which is 76% of them, right? Mm -hmm. um, actually, 80% incarcerated women have children. She saw that there was this, this void of transitional housing for women as they was reunited with their communities. And, mm -hmm. and so she started opening homes, right? Like to receive women as they left incarceration. And so now she's built this network and she's training women all across the United States on how to create and establish these transitional centers for or homes for women that allows for them to bring their children, that fights for them to keep their children. Because one of the biggest things that happens to women as a result of incarceration is that they lose custody of their children. And so she pulled 
does horn wraparound services for them. It is a harm reduction center type of, of supportive program. And she's training formerly incarcerated and non-formally incarcerated, but specifically formerly incarcerated women to open these types of homes in their states, in their cities, in their towns. And it is amazing the work that she's done. A dear friend of mine, Kiana Yank um, in, in Southern Illinois is trying to open up a center for women down there because that's a part of our state that really there's no very little assistance for people and especially women who are coming home from incarceration. And so she's about to do that. And it's just exciting to see women who have been, you know, incarcerated uh, to, to come home to a place until they can find their own permanent residence to come home to a place that's home, right? Like that where they can have their babies with them and they can, um, they can kind of, get things together until they can fly for themselves. And I'm just so inspired by her. Again, coming from the loss of a child is so, that's just devastating. Nobody, no parent wants to bury their child. And then here she is now, decades later, empowering women on so many different levels to help women, right? Women helping women. You know, I, I am personally an abolitionist. The, the coalition I lead is not an abolitionist coalition, but one of the phrases that we use is we keep us safe. And that is, I think, exemplified by the work that Susan Burton does is that she establishes places where women keep women safe. Yeah, I remember meeting Susan with, with one of the, uh, what's the FICPM convening. And I was just like extremely inspired by hearing, uh, again, how someone came out of out of this bad environment and turned her life around and then created a ripple effect of change, just like all of us created this ripple effect of change in the lives of so many people. That's just power. We are so excited to invite you to the Just Leadership USA 9th Annual Benefit Gala, Monday, June 5th, 2023, at PhD Rooftop Lounge at Dream Downtown in New York City. We're excited to bring JLUSA leaders, allies, and advocates together in person to unite around our shared values and propel our vision for the future. During the last year, we've made significant strides in building our capacity and infrastructure to become the only national systems change movement and policy table led by and for directly impacted people. This coming June, please join us for our first in-person celebration in over two years. Learn more at jlusa.org backslash gala. That's jlusa.org backslash g-a-l-a. We have this last question, and Evelyn, I think you have already answered this question, but I want you to just expound upon it a little more, right? And that is, what are some of the lessons you learned from your failures in the past and even in the present moment, what are some of the lessons that you've learned in this failure? A couple things. Resilience, don't give up. That the, that one loss does not define who you are or the work that you do. Like, just keep going and keep moving because literally lives are at stake. And then the other thing is that sometimes those losses, you can always learn a lesson from those losses, but sometimes it's the system. Right. The system not just not ready for you. They're not ready 
to hear and do the things that you know the system needs to hear and do. And so don't take that, you know, let it roll off like water on a duck's back. Let it roll off and keep it going. Allow yourself to put one foot in front of the other and to keep continue to do the work. We're all called to do great things. And when I say great, I don't mean it has to be something that, that's on national news or even on local news or reading up or anything. When I say great, I just mean impacting one person's life because that's great. And we're all called to do that. And we should just walk in that greatness. Own it like you say, Brother Lester, own the room. Own what you're doing and continue to move forward because that's that's how you we get the work done is we keep putting one foot in front of the other. Absolutely. Such a powerful, powerful tidbits of information from you. I mean, we really thank you for coming on. And once again, congratulations on your recent graduation from Leading with Conviction. Can't wait to see all the phenomenal things you're continuing to do in the future. So we just thank you for uh, this interview on Just Us Speaks podcast. Thank you, Avalon. Thank you so much for having me. Uh, like I said, two of my my most favorite people, anytime I can spend time with you all, is, is always a privilege and an honor for me. Do you have anything you want to just leave our audience with today? Some words of encouragement, uh, something about leadership, just share something with our leaders as we close out. That we all are leaders in our own right and in our own way. And that we just need to figure out how and where. So find your space as a leader and be and lead. Whether it's big or small, you have a calling on your life and, and you should walk into that greatness. Love on yourself and love on your people. Mm. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, with that, we uh, conclude uh, the Just Us Speaks podcast for today. Again, Avalon, thank you for being our guest. And we look forward to continue to engage you and to continue to see you grow and do phenomenal things, not only in your city, but in the world, because your, your, your vibration is sending it around the world, not just in your location. So may God continue to bless you and you can stay strong, sis. Peace. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Brother Lester. Thank you, Brother Hakeem. Oh, 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 oh,